Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Thank you for taking a seat at the table. Tonight we're going to be talking about kids and mental health. Tonight I have Kim McIsaac from Boston, Massachusetts. Jamie Ramos from Denver, Colorado. Hello. Jen Dunn from Vancouver, British Columbia. Hello. Rachel Flanagan from St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey. And myself, Tabitha Cabrera from Phoenix, Arizona. We are talking about mental health in this series, breaking the stigma of discussions related around mental health. And so tonight we want to start out with a little bit of statistics and information about children and mental health and then get to our chat about it. Jamie, if you want to start us out with those statistics. Yeah. So first, this is from the cdc.gov. One in six U.S. children aged two to eight years, 17.4%, had a diagnosed mental, behavioral, or developmental disorder. Rates of mental disorders change with age. Diagnosis of depression and anxiety are more common with increased age. Behavior problems are more common among children six to 11 years than children younger or older. ADHD, behavioral problems, anxiety, and depression are the most common diagnosed mental disorders in children. 7.1% of children aged 3 to 17 years, approximately 4.4 million, have diagnosed anxiety. 3.2% of children aged 3 to 17 years, approximately 1.9 million, have diagnosed depression. So I also wanted to talk about the suicide rate in teens and children. According to the CDC, the rate of death by suicide in people from 10 to 24 years old increased by 57.4% in the U.S. over a 10-year period from 2007 to 2018. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among 15 to 29-year-olds, according to the World Health Organization. And we are all parents of autistic children. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about the prevalence of mental health issues with children who are on the spectrum. So there was a study done by the National Survey of Children's Health. They estimated the prevalence of correlates of mental health conditions reported by caregivers among children with ASD. After they did a study with children from 3 to 17 who were included in a 2016 population-based survey, they found one or more mental health conditions among 77.7% of the children with ASD, as well as two or more among 49.1% of this population. Behavior or conduct problems in 60.8%. ADD or ADHD in 48.4%, anxiety problems in 39.5%, and depression in 15.7%. I think for all of us and for me, reading things like that as a mother, period, but also as a mother to a child who is on the autism spectrum, it scares me. Uh, With my son, he is six years old, and I didn't realize that young children could have mental health issues. I think the day we figured out that my son had anxiety was a great day because it helped me understand him a whole lot better. We couldn't like walk into a store. I mean, all the way when, even when my son was one years old, he would freak out. It would take us a half hour to get into the store. And as we started figuring out more that autism was a possibility, we're like, well, maybe it's too loud. Maybe it's this. We would go to someone's house for dinner and he would just cling to me. And that's kind of one of the few times he'd be affectionate with me. He still does that. He'll go, we'll go to someone's house and he'll hide and 
it takes him a long time to come out and to really socially interact with people at his level, which is kind of just being around in the same place as them. For Jesse, even now, watching like a new television show is hard for him or even his favorite show, a new episode. He hides behind the wall and he like peeks out at it, which is like kind of a cute thing, but it's also anxiety. And it's that's not extreme anxiety. It doesn't necessarily send him to a panic, but it is like one of those things where it's like, people are like, why is he doing that? It's because he's anxious. He, he has to know what's coming. And that gives him anxiety in life in general, not knowing what's coming. And it even applies to cartoons, which is. It's interesting to watch such a, like, um, an example or like watch it play out in something that's so innocent as, and, and seemingly like non-threatening as a TV show. C has not watched Max yet. On Daniel Tiger because she just can't cope with like she can't take a new person yeah and so when I realized I'm like oh this is anxiety he's nervous about that so now we have more tools to work through those situations which is really nice but I would have never thought that a one-year-old or two-year-old or even a six-year-old could have anxiety I just didn't think about that and I think knowing that depression is so prevalent in autistic people that scares me for him he can get very overwhelmed we can be playing and laughing and all of a sudden he'll burst into tears and kind of go into a darker place or we just have rough days and I think he's acting out and he's having behavior issues because I think he's he's down something's not right could also be the anxiety he's anxious about something and so that makes me nervous for his future and I hope that's something I can look out for and I can help him and his doctors can help him and we can work on that with. But it's just scary that's happening to so many kids. And even for my daughter, who's typical and my son, the suicide rates scare the crap out of me. And I hope just parents in general who are growing up knowing these things, we're just more aware of it. What about you, Jen? What do you think of um, with mental health and, ch- and children? You know, you're pretty open in your writing, especially recently about anxiety and the changes over time, which I always find fascinating and what you do is that you talk about you know how it developed over time yeah my daughter's 11 and we noticed her anxiety started around five and just like Jamie was saying we there was a period she wouldn't go through unfamiliar doors I mean she would bear down and she would not go through those doors and that's anxiety she wouldn't go into just unfamiliar places in general you know leaving the house was just not really an option. And then, you know, we went down a a road of medication, which wasn't helpful for my daughter. And then, you know, we've, we've had a psychologist, we've had a psychiatrist, we've had her pediatrician as a mental health specialist. We had two psychiatrists, but the one that we worked closely with, he wouldn't diagnose her or even look at bipolar or any of that stuff until she was through puberty, because he said the hormonal changes alone. And my daughter is, in pu- is going through puberty right now. So you add that on to her anxiety, which, you know, comes out in the form of vocal stimming, pacing, just repeating. I mean, she, today alone, she said the word after. I'm not kidding. She probably said it. She probably said, if I thought I was going to lose my mind, she said uh, almost two hours. It was just, you know, and that that's, that's anxiety. Unlike Jamie was saying about her son, I cannot tell my daughter what's coming up. If she knows what's coming, her anxiety spikes by the minute almost. And by the time the event actually happens, she's so fried from the anticipation of the event. 
And also like Jamie was saying, and I think it's, I think it's common for our kiddos, but she will go from being unbelievably happy to hysterically sobbing in an instant. And you know, when it happens, it, it does make me think, is there, so, you know, is there, is there something else going on here? I mean, this is just the emotions are so, you know, I always say the highs are so high, but the lows are so low. There's, there's never anything in between with her. It's we're up here or we're down here and down here is a scary place. So yeah, you know, I think statistically we know that children with autism have a higher rate of mental health issues. Yeah. I think it's going to be lifelong. And learning to manage it, learning to manage it so she can cope in the outside world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting over time. For me, my son is four and a half. And when he was a baby, not a baby, but like a toddler-ish, he had this habit when things were hard for him, he would tip all, all the chairs on their side in our house. And that was kind of like an indicator that he was feeling, and he hasn't been diagnosed with anxiety, but feeling anxious about something. And so we could cue into the fact that he was having, he's being stressed out, you know, and even to this day, if it's like super extreme during COVID, when his school ended, it was weeks of tipping the chairs over in the house. And it's nothing like slamming them. He just puts them all on their side. It's really interesting. And for him now with his, uh, he's always had verbal stims, but we have the same thing, Jen, where he'll repeat over and over and over and over again. And sometimes it's like he's searching for something and we don't know what it is that he's searching for, if it even exists inside of our house. And you can just tell that he's like fixated on the idea of the completion of whatever it is, even though we don't, we don't have any idea of what it is. We call that looping. I don't know if that's an actual term, but it's, Jesse does that too, where it's like, I'm like, oh, he's stuck on something. Or if there's a lot of stimming or a lot of scripting, we know it's coming. Yeah. What's going on? Us too. And you can, I think we've talked about this before on our podcast, but you can tell almost immediately at the beginning of the day, if that's what it's going to look like, you know, like it's elevated from the moment they wake up in the morning or until the time they go to bed. Or it's completely out of the blue, completely where you've had this fantastic day and, or a great morning because sometimes a great day is too much and that causes a, and you know, too much is too much of a good thing sometimes. Right. Or you can just be having a great day and then absolutely out of nowhere, out of nowhere, it just goes <laughs> south, <laughs> yeah. south, real fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, my yeah. son, he always, it's always like a, maybe he gets those for me, um, but it's like you have, to, he has to complete whatever the sequence is of the things that he's thinking about. So, you know, he has to be like, I'm if like, he, oh, my friend does that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It might be from me a little bit. If he's wanting to hold your hand a certain way and you're like in another room, then he has to walk over to you and hold your hand in a certain way to to complete the sequence of whatever he has imagined in his mind. And then he moves on. But it's really fascinating to think about it at for a little tiny two-year-old, what's happening. Like we didn't know at the time when he was tipping over chairs I mean, we were cued into his feelings and emotions and could tell that he was elevated, but I wouldn't have tokened that as like an anxious, like it, it's associated with his anxiety or feeling anxious about something and he didn't have expressive language. And so you're kind of just like guessing at what's happening. And for him, it's generally related to emotions. You know, if he, if something's changed, if he's feeling sad about something, we've noticed that happens because he can't really say yet yeah, I'm sad or, you know, I'm happy. 
And we have the same thing too, Jamie, where it's almost like there's this high and Jen too, you described this, like they're so excited about something that they can't even contain it anymore. You know, and we have the same, we cannot prep too early or else it creates like by the time we get there, it's, it's too much. You know, we have to have like this brief window of time where you're preparing and we do have to prepare, but it can't be too far in advance for him. Our daughter will see what, you know, where it goes with her right now. We're not really, she doesn't have those same like sequence type things that Nixon even had as a two-year-old. She doesn't generally like have to do something a certain way. She strikes me as carefree when she's yeah. like, oh she yeah, is. daddle over here, figure yeah. this out, play over yeah. here. A big planner. Yeah. No. A big yeah. planner. But she does in her OT has explained this to us too. She roams. And so she's never really like settled in one place for too long. She'll just like roam around our house, walking in circles, walking from one room to the next. And they describe that as needing more like physical input into her body. And so she, her body can't understand that she needs to settle because she hasn't had enough input in her body. So that's a little, you know, something to see how that plays out moving forward, but fascinating stuff. It really is. It's like learning so many things at one time. (laughs) And then, you know, like I always, and slash wondering about yes, so many things. Yes, wondering, day. yes. And I always go back to the fact that like, obviously I have anxiety, so it wouldn't be surprising if my kids have it too. <laughs> you know, like just genetically driven, that might be something that occurs, you know, so. And what it's about so interesting you? how they do things that like you don't think anything like, like roaming around the house like you don't yeah. think like that's connected with something else like there's all these things behind it that you like learn as you go and you're like oh <laughs> you yeah know, right just... <laughs> yeah what about you Kim what is your experience with mental health and your kids so we have a couple different things going on over here which my older daughter no not my older daughter my middle daughter has social anxiety it's like the one type of anxiety I don't have <laughs> So it's just very interesting that like, she has that. <laughs> yeah. Who are like, you? It's, it's one of those things that like developed. Like she was never like that when she was younger and then just kind of like snuck up and she has a really hard time. Like she can't talk to people. Like she's very like, you know, doesn't like to talk on the phone. You know, she hasn't gotten diagnosed yet. We probably will be looking into, you know, bringing her somewhere at some point so she can kind of work through some of that stuff she just turned 19 yesterday but yeah it's hard for me because I don't have that she does have like other anxiety too which like I can relate to that but it's like odd to me that somebody who is my child has social anxiety like, <laughs> or like has trouble talking. I'm like how can this be? My son also has it social anxiety too. I mean there's definitely gotta be a genetic component to it and then I'm like or is this like trauma response from having a sibling with severe autism like you just wonder like is that the connection or is it a genetic connection because I see this a lot with you know siblings that have siblings with autism like I I see it a lot but I don't know if there's a correlation or not but it's just it's just interesting kind of to think about my other daughter has my youngest daughter has ADHD very different in girls she definitely it's like looking back after she wasn't she was diagnosed at nine looking back we could definitely see little things that I'm like oh that explains that but um 
you know, it's more towards her learning and stuff like that at school. She is diagnosed with the ADHD that each is more for her emotional. You know, she just gets very frustrated if she can't like get her point across get our way stuff like that you know does affect their ability to cope uh, we try to tell her to count to 10 before she speaks because whatever comes on her mind comes out of her mouth like it's just <laughs> i wonder where she gets no... that from i was like yeah. she gets that from you <laughs> oh believe me i do not speak ever if i spoke my mind <laughs> very true all the time, all the time. yes and then obviously Alyssa has the autism. She has anxiety. And just like you guys said, she just, she's nonverbal. So that makes her life just a lot more frustrating in general because she can't communicate. Her receptive language has gotten a lot better, but it's still not, you know, a hundred percent. So she gets confused. That's her biggest trigger. When she gets confused, she gets extremely anxious. And I mean, I can only imagine what that would be like to just not know what's going on and not understand why things are happening. You know, that's really her biggest trigger. And she will get like extremely agitated and upset. She does not like it if she doesn't understand what's going on. She doesn't like things being changed at all. She'll get very upset. Most of her stuff is just really like yelling and stuff like that. Sometimes she'll do like drop to the floor. She may self-injure if it, she gets really escalated and might have some aggression. But it's hard to really tell, like, what's the autism? What's the anxiety? I mean, she can't talk. You can't really, like, have a conversation about it to figure out what's what. But you can see. You can see the anxiety in her. You can She starts rocking. Her hands stop moving. Her eyes will, like, literally dilate. Her eyes start to get really big. I can see it even before she starts acting on it. So, yeah, it's tough. And she does have some OCD behaviors, which again, could just be the autism. I think she could have OCD, but because she doesn't do the things like checking the doorknobs and those things, but like, I just don't think she's aware to do those things. Like why? She's not going to make sure the door is locked because she doesn't have an understanding of that, but um, she gets really upset if things are moved, things are changed. She has to like move certain things around. Things have to be in certain places, but again, we're not 100% sure if she actually has OCD or it's just part of the rigidity due to the autism. So in the same thing with her, it's like you have to prepare her for stuff. But at the same time, when you prepare her for stuff, she gets very anxious. And she gets anxious not because she gets excited about an event, but because sometimes she doesn't understand exactly what you're talking about. So like if I say, oh, we're going to go on a vacation, we're going to do this. Even though it's something she likes, it's a preferred activity. She will get upset. She'll start screaming and crying. She, do, she doesn't want to hear about it. So what we kind of do is like, we kind of prepare her ahead of time, but then stop talking about it when it comes closer, because even though she's getting upset, I want her to know when it happens. It like, kind of like, you know, will click in her head and just re repetition helps her a lot. So once we've done things so many times, we go to do them. She kind of will be okay with it, but you just never know though when it can get triggered and then when it gets triggered it's really hard to get her back to calm down from it you know we have that to that balance of like preparing them for what's coming yeah. but you can't get them like excited for what's coming so like we prefer just like way out and then don't talk about it again until it's yes. like right before we got to we do right seed. they like, physically change right and rachel we've spoken about this like they're yeah. My daughter's eyes gloss over. There's nothing. She's blank. There's no reaching her. She's blank. Yeah. Alyssa's, Alyssa's eyes will actually dilate. Like when we're in the mm -hmm. airport and I could see, I could see that I looked at her and her eyes were so big. You wouldn't know, but I'm, I'm like, oh God, she's going to blow. And you just don't know. 
it could just be that one thing that you say or do or move or anything when she's that point anything can kind of trigger her anxiety to take over and once it takes over it's hell especially her because it's really hard you can't really talk her through it because her receptive language isn't great and then when she's upset like that it's like drop when she's upset like that you can't touch her she doesn't want you to touch her so Mm -hmm. you can't give her the physical comfort it's just hard but she could have days where she doesn't have have it a lot and like I said it's hard to really know like what's the autism what's the anxiety what's the right pinpointing it yeah for sure because our children generally like they have a tendency to have co-occurring conditions Mm -hmm. you know ADHD OCD ODD like all the acronyms they have a tendency to have those more commonly but it is hard to like categorize what fits into which box and I always say that the autism stands for anxiety the a and autism stands for anxiety (laughs) because it's like I feel like it's I mean so rare to have one without the other I mean I just think the nature of of autism is going to induce anxiety because it's so overstimulating and overwhelming and yeah well the the, you know I, I always say the outside world is not designed for my daughter so for our children And so imagine going out into a world every day that's too loud, too bright, too crowded. I mean, it's just a hard existence to have. So I think, like you said, Kim, it's, I always wonder what it would be like if that anxiety was listed. I think it would be very different. Even when Jesse was a baby, I'd always say pretty much the same thing. I'd always say he's so uncomfortable in the world. Mm -hmm. Like he's so uncomfortable. So that's funny. You say the same thing. And there's just too many words sometimes for her, you know, like. The more word wordy people are towards her, the more like she gets confused. It's just, that's really hard too, because now that she understands a lot more than she used to, but it's mm-hmm. like, I think sometimes she only understands certain words. So then she's like, wait, I don't like the sound of that. I don't like the sound of where this is going. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Rachel? What do you think about, or your experience in this pocket um, of kids and mental health? <laughs> I got a pocket girl. I got, like, <laughs> pull up, a, pull up the table, ladies. <laughs> so, so my daughter, Celie, of course, is like a magical little performer of wonder and delight, but she also is on the, presumably the fetal alcohol syndrome uh, or spectrum, as well as autistic. And she has been diagnosed with anxiety and depression and a sleep disorder and ADHD. I, thank you. An ADHD. <laughs> and, and she just turned six. And, <laughs> and toothlessness and <laughs> piss and vinegar. She, no, she, um, we received her autism and ADHD diagnosis at four and at five, uh, anxiety and depression were added separately depression first, and then anxiety as well, or, you know, last For us, I was just trying to think back to the time where diagnosis was coming into play. I feel like that's not where it started, but where we started calling it something. And it's like this cloud or this veil that comes over her additional or original struggle. And for those of you that don't have kids on the spectrum and you're finding us work because we're fantastic and charming and educational and (laughs) charismatic moms, you should know that many markers on the autism spectrum in, in our case are similar to those on the fetal alcohol spectrum. But additionally, there's so many components to the autism spectrum that, and the markers there that are coexisting symptoms of mental health conditions. And so when you hear 
Jamie and Tabs and Kimmy and Jen say, this is what we're dealing with. But for so long, we didn't know if it was autism. It's because there's a lot of things that in the umbrella of autism sort of could exist there. But when you add up all these other things together, they have, you know, maybe a comorbid diagnosis, right guys? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So for Celie, yeah, she's always been like a particular and quirky kind of kid. And we had to adjust our sales to that. And in time, we started dealing with a lot more aggression. And what happens with Celie is that she'll start her day most days with the best that she can be. Uh, maybe like 30 minutes after that first moment of waking up, <laughs> like some morning that much, but later she will begin to unravel. And in part, that's super common with our children because sensory overload and all these other components sort of whittle her down. But in time that became so aggressive and included so much self-harm or self-interest behavior, like headbanging, not like Nirvana headbanging, but rather um, smashing her face into things hard, like the tile floor and smashing her arm into the wall repetitively in a certain way, or even digging her right shoulder into the wall while she circles the room. Eventually our hours included so much of that, that we really weren't leaving crisis mode. Like it was no longer about a meltdown. It was just another day in this hard and we pursued medication changes and all sorts of things over the course of the last like year and a half as that's been ramping up or quick sinking. I don't know what ramping up sounds <laughs> changing, so positive. Changing. But, yes, yeah. struggle. <laughs> but we ultimately re- very recently ended up inpatient with C after chasing all these other things and trying to get help in so many different ways. It just got so unsafe that we couldn't be home. We could not, she could not be home. And so we ended up in the emergency room of a, like the way in for us in Minnesota is at least in the twin cities is through this emergency room for adults with mental health issues, which is like a 24 hour watch and lockdown. And it was an intense process to begin with. We had been asking about it starting in November and December, and we didn't get there until the end of March, I believe, end of March. Anyhow, as it turns out, we had this whole idea of what going inpatient would be. We thought that in our hope was that someone would be able to see Celie in her struggle, uh, which was often not shown to many people. Like it didn't happen at school that often at that point. It, It certainly has now, but her biggest struggle was always at home. Anyways, we wanted someone to be able to see her 24 seven and watch how busy, <laughs> how busy she was and how dysregulated she always was how, and how dysregulated she would become. Anyhow, we found ourselves in this, uh, inpatient, like we were transferred from the emergency room upstairs to seven ITC, which is intensive care unit for mental health conditions. And as is typical with autistic children, Um, There was a period of masking and honeymooning or whatever, like honeymoon period of transition and change. And I I can say that after she spent two weeks in there, they very much didn't see the deepest parts of her struggle because it's such an overstressed system. And I feel this with all of my being, they're just trying to like stabilize at whatever they can get away with. And, or, you know, sometimes that can help people that level that they offer, but they stabilize and release. 
And in theory, you would go into other services such as outpatient services or partial hospitalization or ramp up the hours within your therapies you already have. And in our case, it is a lot of waiting and a lot more wait lists. And there seems to be just such an overcrowding of the available resources here in addition to COVID and all of it. So it's just been hard. It's We have been the people screaming on the rooftop for help for our kid because we feel like we're losing her and watching the autism or whatever goddamn spectrum it is take over and, and take my kid from me by way of mental health struggle, compounding these other issues that are, you know, running her ability to cope through the day is not acceptable for me as a mom. I'm losing my kid and it feels very much like nobody cares that can help. And it's hard to find access. We like Jen have been to psychiatrists and psychologists, and we've tried play therapy and we do OT to teach skills and coping. And we have an extraordinary group of people around her and we're building this community, but God, it's just painfully hard to access the right help at the right moment. It's the wait list is the problem. It's you couldn't go from inpatient into outpatient for that some as smooth of a transition as our kiddos can do. We and went here from inpatient in this situation, inpatient, she got discharged. She had a reaction to a medication she had been on mm. for three doses, continued to struggle, required another med change immediately following that, like hives and big it's a different, like I can find good in it. Some people have asked me that if there's any good or positive that came out of it. And I feel like there is, I can list like three or five of those and I'm grateful, but we are in a different shade of hell right now. And I don't want to give up. I think too. I mean, we'll talk about this later, like services and uh, mental health in this country, but watching Rachel go through that. And I don't want to speak for Rachel, but seeing her as a mom, as a parent saying, Hey, I need help. My daughter needs help. We need help. And no one's really helping. You get passed along from person to person. And the fact that to get that help, they had to go sit in an emergency room and live in an emergency room for room five for days. days. For, for five, five days. days. Five days. It's not as simple. And we'll, again, we'll cover this later. It's not as simple as reach out, get help because At there's all. not always help there. And I will, and this is something I decided when, you know, in the struggles I've had with my own child, but I will never judge a mom for mental health crisis or their children going through something so hard and they give up. I mean, not that that's right, but a lot of people are looking for help and they're not getting it because it's a broken system. It's nothing the five of us can solve, but it's hard. Yeah, it's, it's hard to see that. And but if you subscribe and share... <laughs> <laughs> to grow our base we'll be able to have a 503c c50 c3 501c3c3po we're gonna have a lot of numbers yeah. a lot of numbers all and letters numbers. All the numbers. well i think that's the one layer to it and the other layer is people take a little bit of a prickly approach to mental health with children under a certain age yeah right so it's like you have a six-year-old that's having these life crises most of the time. Um, and then you try and get help and they're like, well, she's sick. You know, the thing is, is like, 
you know, the solutions, the things that were being proposed to us by a psychiatric team, okay, in a mental health setting, were, was that we should hold her accountable to a six-year-old standard, first of all, off, because I my kid has parts of her that are so far below standard and parts of her that are so far past the expectation because of her skill scatter within the very real neurodiversity that impacts her day. Okay. And her entire existence, mm-hmm. neurodiversity, including things like ADHD, including autism within that comes inattentiveness and hyperactivity or irritability or tantrums or meltdowns or whatever. And naturally there's going to be some typical age crap in there. There's going to be some talking back. There's going to be some struggle. There's going to be some runaway kids, but I'm not talking about running away with a suitcase because you're ticked that your mom says you can't go to Jane's house without cleaning your room. I'm talking about My kid has no concept of safety and I go to a hospital to say, I cannot keep my child safe. And I say words like, I need you to hear me. Look at my whole heart on my sleeve. Watch me in the room with the mermaid. I'm living in a domestic violence situation. Would you like me to take my clothes off? My kid hits me. My kid hits herself. I'm raising as many flags as I can where I'm not like delivering CPS on my door. And I would call them if I felt like there was anything to offer, but even they would put me on a wait list or not understand us or like there is no resource. I was lying down crying in front of them. I mean, help her. She's worthy. I, it's, it's, yeah. It's devastating. Devastating. I'm sorry to have soapbox so hard. No, I, yeah, it's, I'm going to speak for us. We watched it from the outside frustrated. So can't imagine, but you know, you said you fell to your knees and, and that happened twice. I, again, no one could help me. I always explained it as Kaya has her anxiety is debilitating. I mean, it's, it's literally debilitating. I couldn't get any help because you can't, you know, like Jamie said, we'll talk about the system or lack thereof at a later date, but you can't really get a pediatrician here. It's very, very hard. You have to get a referral, but you can't get a doctor to get a referral. And you know, on, on it goes, I went to a walk-in clinic. I got lucky getting this new doctor and I, I had to bring Kaya a couple of times and they had to make extraordinary exceptions for us. They were fantastic. And finally, I just said to him, my kid has, I need some help. She needs to go on some kind of Medicaid. Like, you know, when I was starting down that road and, and I was like, and nobody will help me. Like, literally yeah. I was like a raging lunatic. I said, and nobody will help me. And I'm not leaving to help me. You have to help me. And I was sobbing here and he said, he leaned over and he said, I'm going to help you. We'll get her some help. And that was how we got our pediatrician, but I literally had to lose my mind. I said, nobody will help my daughter. Nobody will help me. I say straight up. And I've written about this on Flanaville. Listen, Jane, if you don't help my kid quickly and she drowns or gets hit by a car or hides under a car while she runs away, while this paperwork is on your desk, it's on you. Have you seen a little casket? I am not kidding. It's not that my kid is terminal. It's not, but my kid is a freaking danger to herself. She has no concept of consequence of safety of, she was uh, in a period for a brief time where she's throwing glass because she quite liked the sound and it felt like Elsa, icy Elsa, crunchy feelings. And it actually stimulated her and aroused her need so much that it was 
one thing after another, trying to make that sound after we had taken glass. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been around someone quite busy and curious and smart and wicked unsafe at the same time, but when they throw a glass, you only still have two legs and two arms to hold off the kid while you're also cleaning up, while you're also simmering down what was happening to create the throw glass. And she grabbed a piece of glass from the bottom edge-ish of the turn of the cup, like a mason jar, little pint thing. And she's scratching her arm with it. I can't even tell you, like if you could air gun or like, like blow horn uh, and come help me, but I'm scared to call the police. Like I'm scared. You just don't think that there's a hospital bed open. There isn't by the freaking way. And when you get someplace, it's luck for the moment. It isn't the best fit. It's like going into Victoria's Secret with G boobs and they sell you a D because it's the best they've got. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible disservice to life. <laughs> it is just because that's what they have. You know? Yeah, it is. And you're welcome. It is like, what do you do when you're screaming for help and no one's coming? I mean, that's the, the thing. And I've seen this play out in different ways. There's not a bed. Insurance isn't improving the stay because it's not an emergency. You know, like there's all different facets where they tell you you can't stay or you can't get the help that you need. For children specifically, there's very limited resources, which we're going to get into later. And to but. be six is really terrible because every solution has their bracket of who they serve, you know? Exactly. Well, we've talked about this before too, when you're talking about treatment teams and people who understand autism and who understand neurology and who understand mental health conditions and it's all pieces of the brain, right? I mean, when you have depression, it's a chemical imbalance in your body. When you have anxiety, there's something going on in your brain. When you have a neurological disorder like autism or ADHD or, you know, whatever falls under that category. The expectation is that the person treating you isn't just treating one piece of that puzzle, that they're looking at the entire facet of who you are as a person. And that's not really the way that our medical system works. So it's built or is built. Yeah. Built to work now, that way. Yeah. And the education that you would need to do that if you aren't doing it as a team, I don't know if that really exists. And the lack of understanding. You're at the Mayo Clinic as well uh, as the inpatient experience. We're at the Mayo Clinic and I literally thought it was sort of like this extraordinary show up with your whole show and they take the little things out of the bag until your bag is empty and they talk to each other every second. Like house. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is the lack of understanding even with the professionals is mind-blowing. They did not it's- know about girl autism where we just were. I mean, Kim, you're right it's terrible well, when Alyssa had an appointment with a psychiatrist in December and they were like even though I explained all the things they wanted to sit down and ask her questions that she didn't understand well she just went ah! and they were like okay never mind but it's like they don't listen to you it's like they don't believe you like when I tell them you can't ask my daughter questions she will not understand I'm not just saying that for like no reason it's not cute yeah it's like I always say watch like, this watch this then well, that's what I do too now. Because sometimes yeah. I just laugh to myself. I, like, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Keep pushing her. She's going to tell yeah. you exactly in a second. <laughs> she can communicate, maybe not 
uh, with words, but she she can get a point across. <laughs> My daughter too. <laughs> My daughter too. <laughs> that carefree girl goes into like Mortal Kombat. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even. Even professionals at my daughter's day program, it's like, I know it's a, such a wide spectrum and it's so different for everybody, but it's like, sometimes the lack of understanding just, I just- There's common threads for sure in autism, you know, in yeah. our kids, there's well, yeah. common threads. Yeah. When they're, and they're like, oh, can you maybe talk to her, have a conversation with us about her? Um, they want her to wear like a cover-up for swim. And they're like, yeah, she wouldn't wear it. Can you have a conversation with us at home? Okay. Sure. <laughs> I think it's that thing too, where it's, there's not enough people, there's not enough resources, there's not enough of these professionals. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a big problem. And of course, in all these fields and and medical people, for good reasons, they go based off of studies and blah, blah. And like, it's like that doctor, you, we, I mean, most of our doctors, they go and they don't remember you. They're going off what your chart, they're going off what's written about you. They don't know you. They're not trying to get to know you or remember you in a lot of cases. And with our kids, it's even more of that. And I think you guys with girls, it's even more of that because the studies aren't there with girls. They're like, well, I haven't studied this. To Jamie's point, there's one girl for every four boys diagnosed with autism. Yes. Yep. And the whole framework of autism was built a around boys in large part. And then B, the presentation is so different that my daughter's stimming looks like running back and forth. My daughter's very social, even though often socially inappropriate or can only bring her script so far or whatever. Like she is social, but like there's so many (laughs) different facets to what girl autism looks like than boy and masking is a very huge part of that. So you can kind of make your way through until it's exposed. It's like, I have to be like, here's the encyclopedia of Alyssa. Please study it. Put it on your computer so anybody in the future can access it. <laughs> go buy this encyclopedia. Don't go buy any of the other yeah. information. Scan it in. <laughs> Scan it in. Scan it into that system, please. <laughs> I wish that we could like print a constellation of our children and then like here's our skill scatter. Could you just allow us to target peacefully, please? We've uh, we've presented you with our struggle and our strength. Well, and it it also depends on your like energy when you walk into these appointments, because sometimes you're exhausted and you're, you have a beat down of fight. So you've walked this deep line for too many weeks or too many appointments or too many calls. Don't go to the doctor without a problem being there. So we're whooped once we get there. Yes. And so sometimes you're tired and it's, it's the energy. And sometimes you go in guns blazing and you're like, all of us I mean really you go in you're like listen to what I'm saying to you right now the words that are coming out of my mouth you need to hear them but other times you're kind of like okay give me the checklist I'll fill it out for the 4,000th time you can put it in your chart because it's the same checklist that was there a year ago you know or whatever the circumstances are it really really I think the appointments can really depend on how much fight you have in you at the moment at the time and what's happening at the time you know they don't give you actual solutions a lot of the times too they're just like well you can try to call this number or oh yeah you can um we can have the social this is the one i get a lot we can have the social worker get in touch with you she would know 
about that. The blatant scapegoat, my favorite. But then you get in the social worker and they're like, oh, I don't really deal with this, but look, let me try to find you a number of someone that can help Someone you. who does. Yeah. Everybody's favorite way through autism is a referral. I feel like, mm-hmm. oh, you're complicated. Like, remember before we were simplified to the word busy, we were complex. And it's like, oh, let me let me bring my colleague in on that. Do I need to see you again? Or are they going to report back? No. Oh, well that, oh, the mental health when our kids, it's a, it's a hard one for the mom, mom spirit for sure. That's our experience with our kids and mental health, not experts, but our personal experiences with our kids. We are trying to break the stigma with this five episodes. And if you have any questions or if you have any information for us, we'd love to hear it. Reach out to us. And if you see any of those signs in your children, things are changing and shifting and you know what they're presenting to the world, please reach out to your doctor. Thanks everybody. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at the table for episode two of our third series, Breaking the Stigma. If you are concerned about your child's mental health, please talk to their doctor and don't be afraid to seek a second opinion. Episode three is coming soon. And if where you're listening allows, please remember to rate and review us. Make sure to follow us at facebook.com slash table for five podcast. We'd love to hear from you and we'll see you very soon.